Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuh Wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa min sayyati a'malina Man yahdihi allahu fahuwa al-muhtad Wa man yudlil falan tajida lahu waliyan murshida وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أمر أن لا تعبدوا إلا إياه ذلك الدين القيم ولكن أكثر الناس لا يعلمون وأشهد أن سيدنا ومولانا وحبيبنا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبد الله ورسوله لقد كان لكم في رسول الله أسوة حسنة لمن كان يرجو الله واليوم الآخر وذكر الله كثيرا من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له اللهم اجعلنا من الذين يستمعون القول فيتبعون أحسنه أما بعد أيها المؤمنون We all honor and love and respect and admire and hold in high esteem our beloved Prophet, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him and his. Our relationship with Allah Jalla wa'ala is possible through our relationship with his messenger and apostle. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam There are many ayat in the Quran that demand us and command us demand of us and command us to honor our guiding prophet لَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ رَسُولٌ مِّنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ عَزِيزٌ عَلَيْهِ مَا عَنِتُّمْ حَرِيصٌ عَلَيْكُمْ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ رَؤُوفٌ رَحِيمٌ فَإِنْ تَوَلَّوْا فَقُلْ حَسْبِيَ اللَّهِ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا هُوَ عَلَيْهِ تَوَكَّلْتِ 
وهو رب العرش العظيم Another ayah in the Quran says this ayah was at the end of Surah Tawbah another ayah in Surah An-Najm says وَمَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَى إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيٌ يُوحَى And there are other ayat in the Quran, plenty of other ayat in the Quran that teach us, educate us, have us grow in our maturity, in our relationship with our beloved Prophet. May Allah's peace and blessings be His forever and evermore. And there should be no doubt in anyone's mind that our relationship with our Prophet takes precedence over our own selves. He himself says, لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى أكون أحب إليه من نفسه None of you is going to commit in a true sense to Allah until I, meaning the Prophet, is more preferable to you than your own self. Okay, I think we've cleared the air on this. And I hope no one, after they listen to some of the contents of this khutbah, I hope no one comes and says, look, he's trying to take away from the Prophet's aura or the Prophet's infallibility or the Prophet's personality. And if anyone gets those types of thoughts or impressions, they didn't understand the khutbah and they're not understanding what we are trying to say. Brothers and sisters, we have Allah's book accessible to every one of us it's not a book of a scholarly content that only a few people can understand it وَلَقَدْ يَسَّرْنَا الْقُرْآنَ لِلذِّكْرِ فَهَلْ مِنْ مُدَّكِرِ we have made, we have facilitated the Qur'an for your conscience. So is there anyone out there who has a conscience? Now, if we take a look at our own historical self, we will find that things happened in our history that have reflected somewhat negatively on our beloved Prophet. And when we take a look at what happened in this history, we can go to the origins of our distancing ourselves from our Prophet to the Umayyad period and the Abbasi period of ruling.
And most of the schools of thought that we have today, if not all of them, can be traced back to the Abbasi period. That's when there was a, what you may call a renaissance or a flare or a flare-up among different types of thinking people. Some of them were scientists, some of them were fuqaha, some of them were men of letters, etc. I don't want to get on anyone's nerves. And I want to say that the nature of the times that we are in forces us to express these types of things in the khutbas. Whatever, what other forum do we have to express these types of things that have to be brought out? If they're not brought out and made known, then the disease is going to remain inside of us. Now, what do I mean by this? I'm not going to mention the very popular and well-known school of thought, probably in comparison to other schools of thought, it's the leading school of thought. And I underline the word probably. A faqih, one of our respected fuqaha in his school of thought, and I say I'm not going to mention him because I, I don't mean to touch upon your nerves before penetrating your mind. What do we have here in this particular school of thought which cannot be traced to the Qur'an, this piece of information I mean, cannot be traced to the Qur'an or to the teachings of the Prophet. There's an issue. In, in the fiqhi world, there are issues that are thought through. One of these issues is, if a wife has a husband who has left her, and remains absent for a couple of years. No contact, no knowledge, nothing. Is this wife still considered a wife? Is she still married? Because there's no husband, there's no knowledge of the husband, nothing at all. <clears throat> so what's the solution here? What does... Is she expected to remain a wife without a husband for the rest of her life? This particular school of thought says <clears throat> that after a couple of years when a wife doesn't have a husband and she knows nothing about her husband, she can remarry. So she remarries. And she has children from the second marriage. Which means what? If she has children, that means she's been married now for at least several years. 
The first husband shows up now. What do you do in this case? It's an issue that has to be thought through with Quranic information and the pace setting of our Prophet. This school of thought says she divorces her second husband and the children from the second husband now belong to the first husband. This is a problematic issue. Can we trace any of this to any ayat in the Quran or any hadiths of Allah's Prophet? This is an issue that in the world of fuqaha, learned Islamic scholars, these types of issues are out there. And some of these issues are justified by certain hadiths. None of these issues that you're going to listen to in this khutbah are justified by ayat in the Quran. And we know the Quran and the Prophet they are one and the same. So we have this type of issue. We have another issue in one of these schools of thought that is taken from the books of hadiths. And this issue says, if a wife becomes ill, she's sick, and she no longer can satisfy her husband's needs. Let me be more specific. She no longer, because of her illness, she no longer can cohabitate with her husband. This, a particular school of thought, remember there's no ayah here, and there's no reliable hadith. But a particular school of thought says that the husband is not responsible for her expenses. What do you have here? You have the responsibility of a husband in, in this particular school of thought. You have the responsibility of a husband in exchange for his sexual relationship with his wife. The responsibility does no, not go beyond that. Is this something our beloved prophet taught us? Where does this come from? When you come across issues like this, you begin to ask yourself, if you have a thinking mind, and we all should have thinking minds. Where does this come from? In... I, I'm going to have to be frank with you. Because if I don't, some of you will say, well, how are, how are we going to get to the bottom of this if we don't know where this information is coming from? And I know some very traditional and very... Uh, let's say 
orthodox types of Muslims are going to feel somewhat offended. It's all right. You can feel somewhat offended. Don't take it personally and don't think we are here trying to destroy Islam and railroad the Muslims. No, not at all. If if you read Al-Bukhari, Al-Bukhari is held, the book, Sahih Al-Bukhari, the compilation of hadiths, all of them are supposed to be valid and unquestionable hadiths. Okay, what do you say if in Sahih Al-Bukhari you read that the last two surahs in the Qur'an, Al-Mu'awwidatayn, are not from the Qur'an? What do you what do you do in, in a case like this? We know the ayah says, "Inna nahnu nazzalna dhikra wa inna lahu Allah's revealed words of consciousness are there, preserved and protected forever by Allah. And then we run, we come across a hadith. Now, if I'm pointing to a few hadiths in Al Bukhari, that doesn't mean that all of Al Bukhari is wrong or all of it is illegitimate or all of it is to be discarded no but there are hadiths in it that don't stand the test of the quran such as al-mu'awwidatayn are not part of the quran where did that come from the prophet said that how do we find it in al-bukhari and let me remind you and I could be corrected if I'm wrong. But to the best of my knowledge, these fuqaha, who all of the schools of thought are attributed to, obviously they were scholars, correct? And scholars write. They wrote their opinions, their evaluations, their judgments. All of that was written. Where, Where is it? Has anyone asked themselves, where is the handwriting of Al-Faqih Al-Fulani, or Al-Imam Al-Fulani, or Al-Alim Al-Fulani? Where, where did they write this? The, orig- the original copy, where is it? Tell me. Think a little, so that this area here, that our common enemies are working on, they don't take over, and divide us and cause us to kill ourselves. Another such quote-unquote hadith, you will find it in a book called Fath al-Bari fi sharhi sahih al-Bukhari for a scholar named Ibn Hajar. He says, it is permissible, it is permissible to marry someone who was just born. Now someone may think, no, no, this is probably, what you mean by this is some type of arranged marriage. That's not what is meant. Neither an arranged marriage is acceptable, nor what is meant is acceptable, because what is meant 
it goes on to say that once this newborn female daughter of whomever can tolerate intercourse then whoever the husband is can have intercourse with her meaning if she puts on weight she's eight or nine or ten years old and puts on enough weight then it's permissible to marry her at that time where did this come from you mean to tell me this is on par with the high status of morals that we have in the Quran and from our Prophet, something like this made its way into our foundational opinions. The Quran speaks about al-bulugh and al-rushd. None of that. Those concepts that are in the Quran are counter to a type of hadith as just stated. And then we have what is called at-tib al-nabawi, prophetic medicine. And in that area you come across a hadith that says that the urine of a camel is curative. It can cure diseases. The urine of a camel can cure diseases. Urine? Urine is najasa. So here once again we have a conflict. Why does this continue? Haven't we matured to exclude these types of things, these types of what they're called hadiths? from our books then you go to Sahih Muslim now once again we're not knocking down Sahih Muslim as a whole but we are attempting to filter some of the statements in it that are not hadiths there is a chapter in it that says it's Bab Ibtida al-Khalq it's like Genesis. That's what the meaning of it is. The beginning of creation. There's a hadith there. 1789. That this is the way he created the world. On the first day, he created the surface of the earth. On the second day, he created the mountains. The first day was Saturday. Now this gives you a hint where this hadith is coming from. The first day is Saturday, he created the surface of the earth. The Turab. On the second day, which is Sunday, he created the mountains. On the third day, which is Monday, he created the trees. 
On Tuesday, he created the unpleasant things. On Wednesday, he created light. On Thursday, he created the animal kingdom, the animals. And on Friday, after Asr, he created Adam. The hadith is telling us, the so-called hadith is telling us that Allah created everything and if you count the days, you begin on Saturday and you end on Friday, those are seven days. The ayah in the Quran for those who understand the word day to mean the 24-hour day, خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ فِي سِتَّةِ أَيَّامِ and here's a, here's a hadith that is giving us seven days. What do we do? When you're reading an ayah that says one thing, and when you're reading a so-called, and the ayah is well known and is preserved, and no, no doubt about it, there may be some differences in explaining what a day means. But then you come to a hadith, and then the hadith, you count the days, and it's seven days. What do you do? when we have this type of issue among us. An ayah in the Qur'an says, وَقَالَ الظَّالِمُونَ إِن يَتَّبِعُوا وَقَالَ الظَّالِمُونَ إِن تَتَّبِعُونَ إِلَّا رَجُلًا مَسْحُورًا The offenders in the time of Allah's Prophet said, you people who are following Muhammad you're following a person who has been under a spell or who has been jinxed or who is in a trance. All of these meanings are in the word mashura. The, the opponents of Allah's Prophet were saying that. And then we come to a hadith it's supposed to be a sahih hadith in both al-Bukhari and Muslim in which it says suhira al-Nabi hatta kana yukhayyalu ilayhi annahu yaf'alu shay' wa ma yaf'alu this purported hadith says the prophet came under the spell of some magician to the extent that he used to think he was doing something when he was not doing it. A hadith, a so-called hadith like this gives validity to the Zalimeen who were against the Prophet and is contrary to the ayah وَقَالَ الظَّالِمُونَ إِن تَتَّبِعُونَ إِلَّا رَجُلًا مَسْحُورًا What do you do? You have an ayah with one meaning and you have a so-called hadith with a contrarian meaning. What do you do about this? The ayah in the Qur'an says لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ There's nothing like unto Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nothing like Him.
And then you you have some hadith somewhere in the books of hadith saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a leg or he has a hand with fingers and things like that. What do you do with these types of things when you when what do we do when we encounter these types of things? And then it gets a little more complicated, and I will end on this. There's an ayah in Surah An-Nisa, ayah number 25, towards the end of the ayah, it says, فَإِذَا أُحْصِنَّ فَإِنْ أَتَيْنَ بِفَاحِشَةٍ فَعَلَيْهِنَّ نِصْفُ مَا عَلَى الْمُحْصَنَاتِ مِنَ الْعَذَابِ this ayah from the beginning until the final sentence here is speaking about those women who are less than free women i don't want to use the word slaves i hate the word some of them though were slaves and some of them were less than free because of the circumstances of war so when these women who no longer have husbands when they become the responsibility of Muslim families at one point they have to get married so if they get married to Muslim men and then they commit adultery Here is where the, this last sentence in the ayah says, when they commit adultery, their punishment is half the punishment of a full, free Muslim woman who commits adultery. If the penalty of adultery is for, for al-muhsanah, the word in the ayah is muhsana, meaning a married Muslim woman. If the penalty for that is stoning to death, how can you half stone a woman to death? فَعَلَيْهِنَّ نِصْفُ مَا عَلَى الْمُحْصَنَاتِ مِنَ الْعَذَابِ Which means this penalty of stoning to death is not a Quranic penalty. But we're stuck with this. And where where did this where do we find a penalty like this? It's in the Sharia of Bani Israel. But how come a law in the Sharia of Bani Israel crept itself into our body of laws? How come we find it in our legal system as Muslims? And they do this in places you know, and I will not mention in this first khutbah. الحمد لله بجميع المحامد على جميع النعم 
وصلى الله وسلم على المبعوث خيرا ورحمة وهدى لكافة الأمم محمد النبي الأمي وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم Dear committed Muslims, brothers and sisters, you can see in the first khutbah we are trying to cleanse ourselves of the historical burden that have made it impossible for us to rethink who we are. Okay, we spoke in the first khutbah about the fuqaha and the ulama who burst out into reality during the second and third centuries of our Hijri calendar. And then what happened after that? We lost our minds, we lost the ability to think to challenge the circumstances of our times, to deal with the real issues of our days. Okay, we had respected fuqaha and ulama who gave us the best of their conclusions. Alhamdulillah, all thanks are due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But why don't we have their equivalents in every generation? We stop to think. That's why no one wants to think. Why don't we have the equivalent of Imam Abi Hanifa here and now? Or a Shafi'i? Or Ibn Malik? Or the rest of the Fuqaha? Why? Now, this type of khutbah should also be given in a Shi'i context. But for me, I disqualify. Because, not because an incapacity of any sort, but because of the traditional sensitivities that are out there. All of us are burdened with these traditional sensitivities. And it's high time to release ourselves from our ignorance and take on the issues of our time. Real issues that are affecting our real lives. We suffer from poverty, from hunger, from malnutrition, from ignorance, from dislocation, from wars. Much of these issues have to be addressed, if not all of them, have to be addressed by a thinking Muslim mind. We can't spend the rest of our lives correcting the mistakes of history and not having what it takes to correct the mistakes of our time. This past week, this is, this is what doesn't figure into the khutbahs of our generation. They can't speak about those who are making decisions to kill us or those who made decisions that already killed us. The Congress here 
in Washington DC finally looked at the war in Yemen and said this has gone too far it's about time we stop this war it's the number one human tragedy in the world and the Zionists and Imperial these are two words that don't make a presence in khutbahs on Friday dare anyone say Zionists and imperialists in their khutbahs why where are you living are you living in the age of the Mughals are you living in the age of the Crusaders or when where are you living when the, the Zionist Prime Minister says that instability or the destabilization of Saudi Arabia is tantamount to the destabilization of the Middle East now we can correct many of his words but we're trying to stick to what he is saying ah, did you hear that what is there now uh, an organic relationship between the Wahhabi types in Arabia and their kins, the Zionists, they're made out of the same element. The Wahhabis believe everyone is not a Muslim. Even if he or she is a Muslim, they believe they are not Muslims unless they are Wahhabis or Salafis. This is a fact of life. We can't face this. And the Zionists, when they go into their racism, they think the rest of humanity are akin to animals. This is stated by their politicians and it is stated by their theologians. And we can't open our eyes and see and listen to what is being said. We don't care with much with what is being said. But we care when what they say is what they do. And so they kill us, it's like killing an animal. Whether they are the Wahhabis in Arabia or the Wahhabi Zionists in colonized Palestine. And then that same criminal prime minister goes on to say he will attack Iran if there's an existential threat that's that's the key word they use existential threat to the Zionists who stole a people's homeland Saudi Arabia in the past year is the number one importer of arms in the world and the United States is the number one exporter of arms to Saudi Arabia and what, are the, what, are, what do they want to use those arms for? Of course, to kill Muslims. And we can't, we can't shed light on this. We are prohibited from this. What do, you, what do they want us to talk about? And then Washington now wants the Saudis to pay for those four years of fueling their flights in which they were dropping bombs on a population that is exposed. And then right now there are 
diplomatic and political discussions between Washington and Riyadh for some type of security arrangement. What is that security arrangement? You should ask, we should ask. Lithuania, Eastern European country, has put 17 Saudis on its blacklist. 17 only? Well, it's a good start, I would think. There's been continuous communication between MBS and Kushner here, a Zionist and an Arabian Zionist, an American Zionist and an Arabian Zionist. It's possible we have them in the real world. So ever since the death, the killing of a Saudi citizen in a Saudi consulate in Turkey, Israel sold Saudi Arabia cyber security instruments to spy on those who are against Saudi Arabia and probably on Khashoggi himself which led to the crime of the year in their consulate there. Oman, Sudan and Chad now are beginning to open their airspace for those who are killing us. 60 individuals today were injured near Gaza, shot by Israeli mercenaries and Israeli colonialists. And we're, we're supposed to make believe, oh, not, none of this is happening. Allah and His Prophet says, we are brothers of one another. Oh yeah? You wouldn't feel it if you're in one of these Saudi-controlled masjids where they let these crimes pass by as if nothing is happening. To the contrary, the more this is happening, the closer they become to each other, from Riyadh to Tel Aviv. And then we have these other bits and pieces of developments in Jordan now. It is prohibited by law to amplify the khutbah on Friday outside the masjid or to call the adhan outside the masjid in with amplification. Pakistan has been officially added to the list of countries in the world that practice religious discrimination. In Algeria now, there's beginning to be a protest of the white turbans, meaning the shuyukh and the ulama now in Algeria are expressing their willing, willingness to go out and protest against the government. And finally, Sheikh Yusuf al-Qardawi has been taken off the Interpol's wanted list or as some people would call it the blacklist meaning he can travel now without being wanted by the interpol from country to country these are some of the developments that we need minds to think about and to give us direction not to leave friday prayers al jumu'ah the day of taqwa as if nothing is happening in this world 
اللهم أرنا الحق حقا وارزقنا اتباعه وأرنا الباطل باطلا وارزقنا اجتنابه ولا تجعله ملتبسا علينا واجعلنا للمتقين إماما ربنا لا تؤاخذنا إن نسينا أو أخطأنا ربنا ولا تحمل علينا إصرا كما حملته على الذين من قبلنا ربنا ولا تحملنا ما لا طاقة لنا به واعف عنا واغفر لنا وارحمنا أنت مولانا فانصرنا على القوم الكافرين ربنا صل على محمد وآل محمد وبارك على محمد وآل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم وباركت على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون يعلم خائنة الأعين وما تخفي الصدور وأقم الصلاة وأرحنا بها الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله